Good morning. It's always good to be with you. Uh, if you were visiting with us for the first time today, uh, we want to welcome you. Uh, this is a, a church family uh, that I have been blessed by, uh, that I've been blessed to both be served by, but also to find my place of serving in this body. And it's not only talking. Uh, there's other places that I, I get to be a part of what God's doing here. Uh, and so we're, we're just glad that you're with us, and we hope that you'll consider coming back again and giving us some time to get to know you. Uh, we are closing down a, a sermon series that we've been involved in for the past uh, 12 weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, the, the greatest sermon that's ever preached by the greatest teacher that the world has ever known. And, and there's a lot of different things that we have been listening to Jesus talk about. And I can't speak for anyone else in this room, uh, but for myself, this has been a really challenging set of, of messages to listen to, to, to think about, to consider do I really trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says something like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? When he says something like, you know, when, when you pray, uh, don't, don't talk a lot, don't try to get God to, to do what you want him to do through the words you choose, but just simply open your heart up to God. Don't, don't fast in a way that, that makes other people know what you're going through. Just, just do that in order to be closer to God. When Jesus talks about being people who, who give in ways that, that don't really have any strings attached, we just want to be people who are generous and helpful and kind. These are all things that sound really good on paper. They sound really good in Scripture, but when we start to try to apply them into our daily lives, we realize just how difficult it is to listen to Jesus in a way that actually changes us. We try to, to come up with reasons. Another word for those reasons might be excuses. For us to say that, well, well Jesus didn't really mean that, or he, he didn't mean it in that way. And yet we find that in our deepest places, and in the deepest places of our hearts and souls, we know that we either have to trust Jesus completely or we're going to have to trust ourselves completely. And that's a difficult choice to have to be honest about. And so this week, we're going to listen to, to the last part of what Jesus is talking about. And before we open up the Bible together, I, I want us to remember that, that it's not just us that find the sermon challenging. The Sermon on the Mount has always been something that God's people have found challenging. They have, have tried to wrestle with it. And there have been two extreme ways of listening to this sermon. One way is to say, look, Jesus means what he says, and, and not only are we supposed to listen to what he's talking about and the life that he's describing, but from the first moment we hear it, we need to be living out that sermon perfectly without making any mistakes along the way. If we're serious about being a disciple, we have to find a way to be morally perfect. And the sermon gives us the roadmap to figure out how to be morally perfect, to please God, to, to make God love us more, to make our lives go exactly the way we want them to go because of our own accomplishments, because of our own ability to do exactly what Jesus says. That's one way to listen to this sermon. And if we listen to the sermon that way, I think well, we're, we're really fooling ourselves. And if we're not fooling ourselves about our ability to do perfectly what Jesus asks, then we're beating other people up with the fact that we know they're not perfectly doing what Jesus asked. 
And that doesn't seem to be a very viable way to listen to the sermon, but it's been one way that people have said, this is, this is how you apply it. Another extreme is to say, look, when you read it, it's obvious that the distance between who we are and who Jesus commands us to be in these words is such a wide gulf that we can't possibly cross it. We, we can't get there. So the point of the sermon is to listen to it, to realize just how far we are from being the kinds of people God wants us to be, and to give up. To say, I can't do it. I know that I'm a sinful person. I know that I'm never going to be able to live like this exactly the way Jesus is talking about. And so this, this sermon is primarily to convict me of, of the ways that I'm broken, of the ways that I can't possibly live up to this. And so I, I, I listen to it, but I have no intention of ever actually trying to live it out. It, it simply causes me to fall on the grace and the mercy of God at the end of time to forgive me for all the ways I haven't managed to do any of these things and that that's my only hope. So we've got these two extremes, right? You've got to do it perfectly or you don't have to do it at all because you can't do it perfectly. And yet there has always been people who in listening to the sermon have said, no, those two extremes can't possibly be what Jesus is actually trying to do, that there's got to be a middle way. Right? And this, this middle way is to say, yeah, I confess, I can't live the words that Jesus talks about in this sermon. I can't live them out perfectly. But I can try my best to live them out faithfully. And that that is what Jesus is hoping for. That that is what Jesus be, believes is the beginning place for us in our relationship with God and our relationship, our role in God's kingdom. If we're going to have the blessing of living the good life that, that Jesus talks about. And, and not good in terms of enjoyable, though to be sure, this, this way of life that Jesus talks about is the most enjoyable way of life, even though it doesn't seem that way at first. But it's more than that. It is good. It is good not only for me as a person who's trying to live it out, but it becomes a good way of life that blesses the people that I share life with. That it's good in the sense that it's holy. It's good in the sense that it's right. It's good in the sense that it's merciful. It's good in the sense that it never gives up. Now we can say that we've got to try to live that out perfectly from, from the first moment we hear it. And then admit that, that we're not doing that. Or we can say, this isn't so much a, a moral standard that God is trying to beat us up with. It is an image of what's possible. It's, a, it's an image of human life that we're supposed to fall in love with, not feel like we're under judgment of. Now that's a decision you and I have to make as we listen to these words. Are we going to choose that middle way? Are we going to say to one another, look, Jesus isn't looking for absolute perfection. Jesus is looking for dedication. Jesus is looking for men and women and children who will open their hearts up to being transformed. To partnering with the Holy Spirit, not replacing it. Can we believe that's what Jesus is trying to get us to do? I, I think another way to think of it is this way. Look, the Sermon on the Mount is not intended to be some sort of moral hurdle that you've got to somehow figure out how to get over in order to get into the kingdom of God. It is an open door. It is an invitation. This opening that lets us see the kind of good life, the kingdom life that's possible, and that if we'll just try... If we will work 
cooperative, cooperatively, cooperatively, sorry, collaboratively, if we will partner with how God is trying to work in us and through us in the lives of other people. It's not about perfection at that point, right? It's just about being open and trying. If we make our relationship with God primarily about what we get in the end, we will treat any words of advice, loving words of advice that Jesus or God or Scripture gives us, we will treat them like they are basic requirements. Because we're not primarily focused on a loving, trusting relationship with God. We're primarily focused on what we think a loving, trusting relationship with God or the appearance of a loving, trusting relationship with God will get us in addition to God when it's all said and done. Heaven is not what we get in addition to God when it's all said and done. Heaven is life with God. And so there is this invitation, not a hurdle, but an invitation to say, share life with me. Live life the way it's supposed to be lived. And you've forgotten what that life looks like, so let me describe it for you. That's what Jesus is saying. And we've been listening for the last couple of months. And we've listened as he's painted this picture for us of a life that, that's all about peacemaking. It's sexually pure. It's, it's promise-keeping. It's truth-telling. It's humility-driven. It's enemy-loving. It, they're lives that are, are shaped by moments of fasting and praying and giving that, that aren't about getting credit or recognition, but trying to get closer to, to God and his heart for a world made right. It's an anxiety-free life that's not built in trusting on my ability to secure my own future, but is a life that is based on my absolute trust that God is going to give me the best possible kind of future. It is a life that never gives up on other people, that, that looks at them through eyes of grace, even when other people might see what we're about to do and say it's a mistake. Don't, don't show them grace one more time. Don't, don't try to, to trust them again. Don't open your life up to them again in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's a life that says that even if somebody we love is struggling with something that they can't seem to outrun, that they keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, we're the people who say, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I want to be with you. I want to walk beside you through this struggle. Now, I know that as we listen to that description of life, it is incredibly challenging. And we, again, find that tendency in our hearts to say, he can't, he can't mean that for all of us. Maybe he just means that for, for him, or he means that for, for saints, but he can't mean that for all of us. And yet, at the same time, as, as intimidated as we can be as we listen to this, this life described to us, I think we're also inspired by it. I think we fall in love with it. I think we realize that while it's challenging, while it sounds almost impossible, and on our own it is impossible, but with God everything is possible, and that while it sounds so difficult on one hand, on the other hand it sounds better and deeper and richer and healthier and lovelier. We, we know that. And so the church comes back to the sermon time and time again through history to say, Jesus, teach us again. What's possible if we'll just partner with you, if we'll collaborate with you, if we'll cooperate with you? Just please 
Show us what's possible because we have forgotten. And so this morning, we're going to listen as Jesus draws this sermon to a close. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be starting in verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. Go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road wide, so many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life, right, the good life, is narrow and the road difficult, so few people find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds, or do they get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, and every rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruit. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will go into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. On the judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? And then I'll tell them, I've never known you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. Now, after these words, Jesus talks about two different kinds of builders when it comes to their life. The wise man and the foolish man. And he says, those of you who hear these words and live them are wise. And those of you who hear these words and walk away from them, you're building your life on something that will not stand the test of time. And and what he's trying to to say here as he closes this sermon down, I think, is to say that whether we're considering someone else's life or our own, Jesus wants us to know that you can tell the kind of life that, that is truly being lived by the fruit, by the outcome of that way of life. Now, you and I, we are tempted to separate the way people appear and the way they talk from the actual outcome of their way of life. We are often tempted to believe that if somebody looks good and sounds good, then they've obviously got everything figured out. And yet Jesus is saying, now when you do that, when you look at other people, and when you trick yourself into thinking that this is all about appearances, and it's about how you sound, and it's about what other people think of you, you're forgetting to look in the right places to find out what kind of life you're actually living. And that it doesn't take very long, once we we stop just looking at the surface and we dig a little deeper, it doesn't take us very long to find out if we're living the kind of life we really want to be living, or if somebody else who we might have been listening to very much, or we might have been trying to emulate very much, we'll find out pretty quickly, are they actually experiencing the kind of life that we want to experience? Or are they talking about it, and describing it, and hoping for it, but they're not really in any way getting closer to the way of life that they say that they're really chasing after? 
Jesus says, you know the truth. You know the truth about yourself, and you know the truth about other people. He, he talks in this section about both true and false teachers, but he also talks about true and false followers. So he's not just talking about some of us. He's talking about all of us, whether we try to teach other people or we try to be people who listen to those who teach and model ways of lives for us. In a world full of status symbols and, and titles, Jesus says, you should know, as you try to, to figure out what kind of shape of life you're going to have, you should know that in that kind of world where everybody's showing off and trying to impress each other, God's not impressed. He's not worried about your net worth or your earning potential or your power ranking. And in a world where it is often tempting for us, even in church, to compare and, and to judge and to decide who matters more than other people. In a world where we try to give each other spiritual report cards, Jesus says God doesn't really base the quality of, of your life based on how many prophecies you've managed to give other people, or how many demons you've, you've cast out, or how many miracles you've pulled off. Because in the end, God is never impressed with flashy lives. He's impressed with quiet lives. Lives that are about other people. Lives that are built on the assumption that true life is found not in self-promotion, but in putting others' needs ahead of your own. By, by washing people's feet. By coming early and staying late. By apologizing first. All the things that Jesus describes in the sermon, he says, that's the kind of life that God designed you for. And yet so many times, I think we have convinced ourselves that the basis, the foundation of the good life, the best life we could ever have is a life where everybody knows who we are and everybody serves us and everybody gets out of our way and everybody's impressed with us. It's a life that is built on the assumption that if we could somehow, if each of us as individuals, if we could make ourselves the center of the universe, then life would be the best it could possibly be. And Jesus says, you cannot have a meaningful life when you're the reason for your own life. You can't be the reason for your own life. It has to be something bigger. It has to be someone bigger. God says, not only does he want us to be devoted to him, but if we're going to love God, if we're going to love the things that God loves, if our hearts, if our lives are going to chase after the things that God really wants us to chase after, we will learn how to love our neighbors as ourselves. We will learn how to have a life that is about relationship and about other people and how we use our relationships in redemptive ways to bless other people. God is not interested in how many spiritual or unspiritual accomplishments you manage to pull off. God is only interested in how much, in the final analysis, your life is shaped by the life of Jesus. So I want you to be honest with yourself this morning. Do you really believe that if you were to be 
you were to be completely open and transparent and vulnerable, could you honestly say that your life is built around peacemaking and staying sexually pure and and keeping your promises no matter how hard and, and telling the truth, practicing humility, loving your enemies? Or do you read about those things in Scripture and try to find a way to leave them there? Do you fast and pray and give, not because you want to be seen as somebody who's deeply religious, but do you fast and pray and give simply because you want to be closer to God's heart? Are you ever completely overwhelmed with a sense of anxiety about the future? Or in those moments when you struggle with anxiety, do you find an ability to trust, to lay your burdens down, and to trust that Jesus cares for you more and better than you know how to care for yourself? Think about the people in your life who you really struggle to get along with. Are you praying for them? Are you asking and seeking and knocking and asking and seeking and knocking in your interactions with God, in, in, in moments of reflection on that relationship, are you constantly seeking, looking for, striving for some way to get through to those people? Not for your own sake, not because you want to fix them because they're frustrating you or annoying you or getting in your way, but simply because you're able to finally see them as a dearly loved child of God and you want them to experience that truth through you. If someone else were to describe how you spend your time in your life, would they say, yes, I see all of those, those values, all of those, those strivings and, and those goals. I can see all of those at play in your life. I, I can see how you're trying to become somebody whose life is shaped by Jesus. Or are we just really good at acting like we're listening And then walking away and doing what we want to do anyway. God wants our lives to be shaped by the words that Jesus gives us and to be based on the example Jesus shows us. And the bottom line is, brothers and sisters, we're either serious about partnering with God and transforming from from who we are into who we were always supposed to be or we're just playing around and, and we're calling it church. I mean, we're either trying our hardest to be the kinds of people God says we can be, not on our own, but through, through the help of the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son, or we're wasting our time and we're spinning our wheels and we're calling it Christianity. We could spend countless hours going to church events going to worship services and reading scripture and being experts in talking about scripture and still be so far from actually living the good life that Jesus describes, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but describes in all of his teaching and in all of his his decisions that he makes. That life that's lived for the sake of other people. We can read about it and and describe it and talk about it and still be so far from actually living it that when it's all said and done, Jesus is going to look at us with tears in his eyes and he's going to say, yeah, you did a bunch of religious stuff. You did. 
but I don't even recognize who you are. I don't know who you are. I guess the question is, do you know who you are? We are so tempted by image management. We, we fall prey time and again to, to thinking that we can describe ourselves in a certain way and then we'll automatically be the people that we describe. We confuse hours invested in reading something as being the exact same thing as becoming something. Jesus warns over and over, religion is never a substitute. It is never a replacement for relationship. That at its best, religion is always something that helps us deepen our relationship with God and with other people. And if we have found a way to practice our religion and not deepen our relationships, We are badly mistaken, and we have lost our way. And we need to beg God to give us clarity of mind and heart and spirit to find our way back to the truth again about who God is and who we are and who our neighbors are and who our enemies are and how it is that we have been created to share life, not perfectly, but faithfully. That this this can't be about judging one another and, and how incredible we are at, at any of it. We, we simply want to be people who believe enough in God's love for us to stop trying to wring that love out of other people to make us feel like we matter and, and to try to model that love that we've been given freely to other people. You and I are, we're meant to live bigger lives than, than the world asks of us. And I think too often we settle for versions of life that the world has offered us. And, and this bigger way of life, I find so often that it is built in small moments, small everyday moments of how we make our decisions and how we treat one another, especially when nobody else is watching. I think we, we're so addicted to image management that we tend to think about well, how do I look this way? How do I try to live this way when other people are, are watching, when they're noticing, when I'm going to get credit for it? But you are who you really are when you think nobody else is watching. And only you can answer these questions, right? How, how do you respond when somebody else gets in your way? How do you treat them? How, how, do you, how do you talk to them? How do you talk about them? What do you do when somebody makes a mistake that they've made before? How do you interact with them? How do you make them feel? When it comes to interacting with, with people maybe that you don't know all that well, but but you still, you work with them or you, you come across them in, in your daily life. And, and at some level, because you don't know them very well, you're tempted to just kind of reduce them to, to someone you can either use to get farther towards some goal you have or somebody that you've got to overcome because they're in your way. How do you treat those people? Do you allow yourself to still interact with them as if they're an object or do you force yourself 
to see them as a full-bodied individual with hopes and dreams, somebody that you should care about and have patience with and for. How do you treat your spouse at the end of a long day where nothing's gone right? How do you treat your children when they try their hardest and they fail? How do you talk about church when you're not at church? Are there people in this room who you go to church with who did something a long time ago and you've just decided that you simply don't have to forgive them? I could keep asking questions. You are who you truly are when you're not doing image management. And you know what kind of outcome your way of life is producing for you and for your family. You know. And if it's anxiety-ridden, and it's, if it's built on the assumption that somehow having nicer stuff and living at a nicer address and driving a nicer car is going to somehow bring meaning to your life, you better be honest about the fact that you're held captive to materialism and Jesus would say that's an empty pursuit that will not help you. If, if you have decided that you just simply have a, a temper problem and it's just who you are and you don't have to work on it at all and it doesn't matter that you hurt other people and you say things that you, you supposedly don't mean when you're angry to people but you, you lay waste to their hearts and their souls and you just say this is, this is how it's going to be, well, well you know what kind of fruit that's producing in your life. You know what kind of marriage you have right now. You know what kind of relationship you have with the people that you're closest to. You know the kind of fruit, the outcome of your way of life. And my guess is, in some ways, you would have to say that in spite of you, your life is still filled with blessings from the heart and the hand of God. And yet it is also filled with wounds and broken places, silence and distance, Because you're still struggling with being somebody who really lets Jesus' way of life shape everything about your way of life. It's not possible to be a disciple, to be a follower, and decide that there's certain parts of your life that just don't get impacted by your relationship with Jesus. So find some place in your life where you'd say, I'm I'm not happy with what's, what's being produced there. And submit it, offer it, relinquish it to the grace of God. And open that part of your life up and say, please, I know I've kept this from you. I know I haven't tried to figure out what it means to be a disciple and how I use my money or how I use my power or how I vote or how I, and the list goes on and on. That I don't want what Jesus says here to impact some part of my life because I still want control over it. And I promise you, that place in your life where you still want your own control, it will not be the kind of life Jesus wants for you to get to experience. So give it up. Hand it over. Stop trying to have have this reputation for being a follower and a disciple while you try in other ways to run away from being a true disciple of Jesus who trusts that he knows better than we do. He knows better than we do.
And if we're going to come to this place and spend time listening to some skinny guy talk to us for too long, we might as well make it worth it. Listen to Jesus. Stop listening to yourself. Listen to Jesus. We're going to sing now uh, together, and as we do, we're going to have a couple of shepherding couples that will be outside these double doors that are there to pray with you, to be with you, to be community for you. And we've all had different kinds of week this week, and all of us have different burdens, and so if it would help you, if it would bless you to talk to some Christian people about what you're going through and pray with them, please go to them as together we stand and sing.